questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And as promised, we are bringing health and wellness to Veritas too. So tonight, you don't want to miss this interview. Tonight's guest is a veteran of Sanitas, which is now making the first appearance on this radio program, Veritas. So I'm so happy that you'll be able to experience what Sanitas has to offer here. But if you want to listen to three seasons full of great information that will change your life, in addition to what you're going to be experiencing tonight, go to SanitasRadio.com and become a member there so you can have access to three full seasons of great information. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now. Go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe, and you'll have access to hundreds of hours of truth. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or simply have feedback, you know that I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. Do you want to live longer? slow aging, superpower your brain, and save your life, then listen up, because what we'll discuss tonight can change your life by eating what makes you human. Tonight's special guest is a veteran of Sanitas, and now she joins us on Veritas, bringing you health and wellness to this platform too. Nora Kitgaudas is a widely recognized expert on what is popularly referred to as the paleo diet and is a highly successful, experienced nutritional consultant, speaker, and educator. Her popular podcasts are widely listened to on iTunes, along with numerous free articles and a location on the homepage. She maintains a private practice in Portland, Oregon, as both a board-certified nutritional consultant and a board-certified clinical neurofeedback specialist. She is the author of Primal Body, Primal Mind, and the new book, which is coming out, if it's not already out, which will be the focus of tonight's discussion, is titled Primal Fat Burner, Live Longer, Slow Aging, Superpower Your Brain, and Save Your Life with a High-Fat, Low-Carb Paleo Diet. Nora's website is primalbody-primalmind.com, which is also linked on our website. Nora joins us from Portland, Oregon. Hello, Nora. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining me again how are yes. you? Happy New Year to you too, Mel, and it's such a pleasure and an honor to be back again. Likewise, and you are located in Snowmageddon right now, where there's a <laughs> lot of snow in up there no, in Portland. In Portland, Oregon, my gosh. Yeah, we, we're not, we're just not designed to handle this stuff out here, and uh, I mean, being a former uh, Minnesotan, um, it's, it's uh, very humbling to be in a place that uh, where snow is a completely different experience. It's every bit as beautiful, but it seems like it's a hundred times more treacherous here. So, and it can but, be dangerous, especially the people who are driving who are not used to to that. But uh, we have yes, a new up book and down very very steep icy hills. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But oh, yeah. well, we have a new book, and we're yeah. always in search for of a new diet, a new gimmick, something that that will work fast. But most importantly. 
I think people forget to give credit to our ancestors and don't learn from them as, as we should. If we are here today, it's because those ancestors did something right, Nora. Were our ancestors persistent searching for, for fat, but ultimately made us who we are today? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, the term primal fat burner, it sounds like a weight loss book. And that certainly would be probably a, a side effect of this whole thing that, that many people would enjoy. But the uh, the point of this is uh, the primal fat burner is a bit of a double entendre. It refers to adopting a fat-based metabolism versus uh, fat-based uh, fat-burning metabolism, I should say, as opposed to a sugar-burning metabolism, which is typical for the vast majority of people probably listening to this. And, um, you know, quite a number of years ago, I spent some time in the high Arctic. Um, I lived less than 500 miles from the North Pole for a whole summer with a family of wild wolves and in the company of a world-famous wolf biologist by the name of Dr. L. David Meech. And I was there participating in behavioral research of these animals and, uh, you know, living on Ellesmere Island um, very, very remotely. The closest human village was 350 miles south. And but there were remnants of ancient uh, Thule sites on uh, in, in this area uh, that were thousands of years old. And and, uh, you know, I, I noticed sitting there on the tundra looking at this and, and this landscape really hadn't changed since before the last uh, ice sheet covered North America um, that wow, there there really aren't any vegetables growing here. <laughs> There's nothing really uh, growing out of the ground for human beings to eat. Uh, that far north, there really weren't even any berries. Um, and there was permafrost, you know, so there's nothing you could grow other than, you know, sedges and uh, Arctic bellheather and, and uh, Arctic willows and things like that, and lichens and mosses and such. Um, but obviously, people were eating a diet that was based entirely on animal-based foods. And one of the interesting things, you know, at the, at the time I went up there, which was 1991, at that point, I was very health oriented. But at the time, I was sort of buying into the mainstream health paradigm, the idea that, you know, dietary fat was a bad thing. We had to minimize that wherever possible. Um, if you're going to eat meat, it should be the leanest meat possible. And, you know, vegetables are really where it's at and all that kind of a thing. And, uh, and when I got there, I got off the plane or whatever, and I thought, gosh, how am I going to you know, survive without my co-op and without all my veggies and salads and juicing and all of that? And I found that I cared not at all about any of that. The last thing on my mind when I got off the plane in this environment was a salad. Um, what I became obsessed with, and it really inexplicably, was, was fat. And I craved fat constantly up there. Um, and I pretty much sat on my backside the entire summer, um, you know, looking at wolves and following them on their hunts and or just sitting there for hours, very well bundled against the cold and all of that. I wasn't physically cold at all in this environment. And it was summertime it would get as high as 60 degrees up there. But um, a couple of days it got up to that. Mostly it was hovered around freezing. But at any rate, uh, but. I would be sitting there and I would be eating salami and cheese and you know and, and nut butters and um it, I was snacking on whatever was fat rich and then once a week we made a pilgrimage to the local weather station 
uh, there was a military weather station that was some distance away from where the wolf den was, where we were camped. And we were allowed by the officer in charge to go in and take a shower, thankfully, um, maybe make a 15-minute phone call to somebody we loved to let them know we were still alive. And then they said, you know, if there's something sitting out of the mess hall that looks good to you, you know, you're welcome to help yourself to it. So I'd walked walked into the mess hall, and there with the light of heaven shining upon it, at the back of the mess hall was this enormous bowl of butter. And I would make a beeline over to that bowl of butter, and then I back then I was actually eating bread still, so I would make toast. It was a vehicle for the butter. I didn't care about the bread. I just wanted something to put the butter on. And I was slather, you know, like an inch of butter on this bread and just eat slice after slice until I was too embarrassed to continue. And so you would think that a person sitting on their rear end, and I didn't walk around very much at all, but it, it upset the wolves to see us walking around. As long as we sat there, they were very fine and, you know, happy to have us there and even curious about us and would come over and check us out or whatever. But they didn't like us walking around too much. So we sat pretty still unless we were on four wheelers following them on hunts and things. And uh, so you'd think that somebody sitting on their rear end most all summer long eating, you know, all this fat um, probably would have packed on a few pounds. And in fact, I lost about 25 pounds um, that summer. And, uh, you know, and, and I was also found myself thinking constantly about what were these people eating, you know, because I was at the time I was uh, I very much had a passion for, for, you know, diet and health, uh, even though I was, I was doing this other work. And I thought, how does that, um, you know, how does that add up? Because these people clearly lived here for thousands of years. They did really well. They weren't fat. And they ate almost entirely meat and tons and tons of fat. And, and you know, clearly it made sense that I was craving fat. Turns out that, you know, that even in all primitive cultures, even those in the, for instance, Aboriginal outback or in the tropics or whatever else, venerated fat above and beyond all um, sources of nourishment. Fat-rich foods were the most venerated. And uh, but up there, it was it was just extremely obvious. And it it put a bug in in the back of my brain and something that I found myself having. Um, difficulty reconciling what I had been taught about nutrition and what my experience up there had taught, had told me or taught me. And then I found the work of Weston Price, who we may have talked about last time. He mm -hmm. was, you know, he was a very, uh, he's a very famous nutritional pioneer who spent 10 years of his life and traveling a hundred thousand miles across the planet back in the 1920s and thirties, uh, where we'd first developed air travel, but were now, uh, but there were still all of these primitive and traditional societies that were still doing things the old way. And he covered the globe studying these different cultures. And he searched actually far and wide to try to find a vegetarian or vegan culture in there somewhere. He was sure he'd find one. He never did. But there were two things in common. Uh, I mean, he was, he studied Aboriginals in Australia. He studied you know, Inuit and Northern, uh, you know, Canadian uh, Indian tribes. He was in South America studying, you know, tribal culture there. He was in remote Lochental Valley in Switzerland. He was in Africa. I mean, he went everywhere, uh, some remote Celtic Isles, the Outer Hebrides, um, looking at what these traditional cultures were eating. And he found everywhere where these cultures were eating their traditional diet, they were extraordinarily healthy. 
mentally and physically, showed no signs of dental abnormality. Uh, cavities were extremely rare. They were the most rare among the Inuit. Um, and uh, just very robust physical, mental health and robust babies, you know, that they were having. Uh, but you can imagine that these various cultures throughout the world would have had in different climates and different ecosystems, whatever, would have had tremendously different sources of food along the way. But there were two things that were consistent in every single instance where, where, there, was, where there were examples of excellent health in these cultures throughout the world. There were two things that were underlying consistencies, which I think is critical to look at, because those are the things that are foundational in my mind. And that is that every single one of these cultures, primitive or traditional, consumed as many animal source foods as were available to them. And the second thing that was consistent among all of them is that in every single instance, the single most venerated food, uh, the most valued food in every single one of these cultures and the most sacred foods were the ones that were the most uh, rich in fat and fat soluble nutrients every time. And so what I've come to what I came to realize is that this is what is foundational to our health and the rest, all these other you know, foods and, and, and things that we may have consumed along the way and gotten away with, you know, supplied our diet with mere nuances, uh, you know, just we're, we're supplemental either to our benefit or to our detriment. And the degree to which we were healthy suggests suggest to me that, that those found the, the most foundational aspects of our diet were most solidly in place. And they were able to compensate perhaps for the other things they may have consumed that may have been less beneficial uh, or po perhaps even compromising in some way, but that as long as those foundations were intact, um, these cultures enjoyed robust health to w one degree or another. And the Inuit w impressed him, um, almost impressed him the most of any culture. I think he was also especially impressed with the Aboriginal people. And it's sort of interesting. It, it's when you think of fat and the cold, it seems to make sense, right? Because fat being a fuel that we use to insulate us and keep us warm right. and that we burn in our you know, furnace in order to kind of keep our, our body temperature up, etc. Well, that makes sense. But fat was every bit as venerated, if not more so, in places like the Aboriginal outback. And Aboriginal hunters um, venerated fat above all things. And if, if they went out and they say, killed a kangaroo, and they found, upon examining, you know, the carcass of that kangaroo, that the animal was too lean and didn't have enough fat, they'd leave it out in the sun to rot and go find another one. That fat was what they hunted for, and this has apparently been a trend throughout our history. And it, it, it best explains um, the one thing that um, that characterizes us as humans more than any other thing, and that is our comparatively extremely large and sophisticated brain and extremely ra rapid rate of, of encephalization that occurred during our evolutionary development that allowed for, you know, the development of sophisticated executive function and, um, you know, all the gray matter, the, the cerebral cortex that we have. Um, we owe, our brains are made of fat. They're constructed from the very fats 
that we supply them with, with what we choose to eat. And the two fatty acids that are most critical to human cognition um, are arachidonic acid, which is uh, found uh, exclusively in animal source foods, and docosahexaenoic acid, DHA. It's an elongated, the most elongated form of omega-3, exclusively found in the human food supply in animal source foods. You can't get DHA from flax oil or chia seed oil or walnut oil or sachinichi oil or any of these other plant-based omega-3 fats. We can't use those. Our brain cannot use those. And the elongation process doesn't even happen uh, to where we are able to generate any DHA um, or almost any at all from plant-based omega-3 fats. We have to get them from animal source foods. And if they're not in your diet, they're not in your brain. And so, and uh, the other thing that occurs um, at a very high percentage in the human brain that's also exclusive to animal source foods is cholesterol. I was going to ask you about cholesterol. 25% of all the cholesterol in the human body is in the brain. And it better be there. And if it's not, you've got some real... Problems. Is this then, why people who are under cholesterol lowering medication seem to be lowering their IQs? Yeah, well, they're not just lowering their IQs. What they're what they're doing is they're um, one of the very common side effects of these cholesterol lowering medications can involve dementia like symptoms. Um, you cannot have healthy cognitive function or optimal cognitive function without the abundance of cholesterol in the brain. And of course, close to half the fat in the human brain is also saturated, and it needs to be, because saturated fats, by virtue of their molecular structure, are highly resistant to oxidation, right? It's, you know, we're not refrigerated, right? So inside our body, where it's 98.6 degrees, imagine if you took a bowl of fish oil on a hot summer day where you didn't have air conditioning, it was 98.6 degrees in your house, and you put that out on your kitchen counter for a few hours, what that would do. Obviously, if you have something that can insulate that and protect it against oxidation and heat damage, um, then you're going to make much healthier use of these delicate polyunsaturated fats. And that's part of what saturated fat does. It protects uh, um these these delicate, more delicate, uh, polyunsaturated fats that were everybody says, oh, you're supposed to just that's the only good kind of fat. Look, every natural source of fat, particularly those from animal source foods that have been fed a natural diet for them, in other words, totally pastured, totally uh, grass fed, um, all the fats present in meat like that are innately beneficial in some way, and you know, we, we, we've become conditioned to thinking about fat as one thing, when in fact, it is many different things. In fact, there's not even one type of saturated fat. There are short chain saturated fats, medium chain saturated fats, and long chain saturated fats. And your body uses them in different ways. And some cannot be stored as body fat at all. Others are very um, and and are typically very rapidly metabolized uh, as energy directly, and will go into the portal blood to be converted to ketones or whatever, and then utilized that way. Uh, and then there are longer chain saturated fats that serve uh, as cellular structure. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.